Uh, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. And yes, it is just so good to be with you here this morning. So, um, you guys doing well? Yes. All right. Um, so we're continuing to walk through the book of Jonah. Um, so the past few years, uh, there, there's been some extremely massive hurricanes. I mean, we saw that last year when it hit uh, the Caribbean. You know, there was uh, Hurricane Charlie in Texas, Katrina, Irma, these, these different just huge uh, hurricanes. And um, in preparation, when these, these extremely massive storms are coming, they, they uh, want people to evacuate because of the disaster. And so they've done these different studies to see... Um, what are the best and most effective ways to actually get people to actually move and to evacuate the area? Because many times people are, are just reluctant to hear that, even though it's a tough message of, hey, you're going to um, be in the path of this storm. And so one of the ways that they uh, get people uh, information uh, or to evacuate is just to kind of you know, blast social media, the news, the radio, and just kind of have this information going out there. Um, and that is actually about the least effective way uh, for people to respond. Um, there's a little bit better uh, way, and they'll, ha- they'll send people door to door. And just, again, just kind of encourage them like, hey, you know, the storm's coming. You, you just kind of need to get out of here. Um, but uh, the best way uh, to get people to actually evacuate is, is to make it extremely clear what is at stake if they stay. And basically what they, what they need to do is to make sure that, hey, if you stay here, you, you're going you're gonna to die. And, and so they, they kind of do this in, in some different ways. So they'll, get, um, they'll go you know, to someone and they'll say like, hey, you know, the storm's coming. And um, can you just write down your social security number uh, with like a permanent marker with a Sharpie just on your body? Uh, yeah, could you do that for us so that when we come by later and, and, and just kind of the body's floating, we can identify you really quickly. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, or, or they've, uh, gone to different places. I think the East coast did this a couple years ago. So they've like gone around with toe tags, uh, you know, and toe tags are things that, that bodies, you know, uh, corpses have in mortuaries. And so they're like, Hey, you know, can you just like put your information down here and put that on your toe? That way, again, we just know who to contact when we, when we find you. Um, now I know that sounds really drastic, right? But what the point is, is like, this is the most effective way to get people to, to get out of there. And basically, it's like, hey, you have to know. You have to know what is at stake. Yes, this is a tough message to hear, but we have to make it very clear to you what is at stake if you stay, right? You, you, you could even possibly die. And, and, and that is a really tough message, but that is where we find ourselves in the book of Jonah. And so, again, so I invite you to open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. And as you're uh, pulling that up on your device, open up there, just kind of want to recap, you know, uh, God tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go to your enemies, the people you really don't like, the Ninevites, and I want you to warn them about their evil ways. Jonah doesn't want to go. He goes the other direction. God sends a storm. Jonah uh, eventually is thrown uh, overboard off this ship and into the ocean. And um, right as he's drowning, he finally calls out to God. God sends a fish, swallows Jonah up, and then vomits uh, Jonah up after three days of spinning in the fish, and then he arrives to Nineveh, and this is where, and even though he still doesn't like the Ninevites, still doesn't like these people, this is where we find him, verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, 
um, a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, right? I mean, this is like a tough message to deliver, right? This is not like a positive, happy message. I mean, so like this next week, if you get the emails from City Light, like we're not sending out a message like this. You know, like, hey, you got 40 days to live, bing, you know, exclamation point, emoji face, happy, you know. That's just not going to happen, right? This is like a very tough message to deliver. It's really negative. It's cruddy. But this is the message that Jonah has, has to tell them. Um, and, um, you know, with, with the gospel, with, with Jesus Christ uh, uh, and who he is, and sometimes being a follower of Jesus, that just involves kind of sharing some messages that are, are kind of tough for people to hear, right? I mean, everyone loves hearing about, hey, God loves you. God forgives you. Um, you know, he accepts you where you're at. And, and, and that's true, but, but not everyone loves hearing some of the bad news, right? Like, hey, you're, you're a sinner. Um, hey, we, we all fall short of the glory of God. Hey, you can't earn your way to God. You, you can't be good enough. I mean, that, that's kind of a tougher message to tell. Or, 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 hey, without Jesus, without Jesus' grace, yeah, I mean, your, your eternity is in hell, right? That, that's, a, that's a tough message. But just like the people that are warning others in, in the path of a hurricane, we need to do the same. We need to help people to see, like, hey, this, this is what is at stake. Hey, it, hey, if you continue to believe this, that, that if you're just a good person, God just accepts you and accepts everyone, hey, you're, you're really not trusting in God. You're, you're really just trusting yourself. Um, hey, if this, this is what's going to happen if you continue to believe that. Um, hey, if you, you know, if you just can, you know, Continue to think and believe that that hey just it doesn't really matter what you believe you know just kind of all roads lead to God and everything's going to be okay and you know just kind of everybody will be fine, um, yeah you, you know that that actually that God doesn't exist. Um, there's really only one way to God and, and that's that's through Jesus. Um, or hey, if you continue to believe like hey there's just there is no God and none of this you know um, there's really no higher power there's nothing like that hey. I just want to let you know, like, no, that there is a God. There's one God. And he loves you and he pursues you. And he has a purpose for your life. And, and hey, if, if you don't know God, like, man, this disaster is coming for you. And, and the, yeah, that might be some tough messages to deliver. But that's part of what following Jesus is, is, is sometimes sharing those, those tough messages because it is actually the most loving thing to do, right? If we, if we don't actually tell people what is really at stake or, or how they can really know God and to help them identify these lies of these different beliefs out there, then we're not actually loving them. Just like if people in the path of a hurricane, if, if, if they didn't warn them like, hey, this storm is coming, man, that would actually not be a very loving thing to do if they didn't warn them. And, it, and it's not like one of these things where we just want to scare people. Right, or just, hey, let's just kind of scare the hell out of you kind of a thing. But we do want to lovingly let you know the truth of Jesus Christ so that you can actually really know God. And, and so we see Jonah, and he's delivering 
this hard message. And, um, and in verse, so he delivers, hey, you're going to be overthrown. And then verse 5, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So first point, first observation is that God's word causes them to lament. God's word causes them to lament. And so when they, when they hear this message, they mourn their sin. And so when it says that they cover them, uh, they cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes, that, that might seem pretty weird for us. So let me explain that. Um, so ash, this is, this is symbolic of, of just the grief over their sin. And, and just to kind of almost identify themselves just kind of with death, like, hey, we, we're, we're, we're kind of like dead in our sin because of what we're doing, because of our evil. And so they're taking their sin very seriously. And it also says that they put on sackcloth. And so this is like burlap or like a potato sack. And what this is doing is they're identifying themselves being poor and needy because sackcloth, I mean, that's a, this like really itchy material. Um, and, and basically, like if you were a peasant, if you were extremely poor, um, this might be something that you're wearing would be like sackcloth. And so they're identifying themselves like, hey, we're identifying ourselves with the poor and the needy, and we are poor and needy before God, right? We're, we're just kind of poor without him. And so they're, they're just rejecting comfort. Later on, it says like, hey, let no one eat, right? They're, we're going to fast um, because they're taking their sin so seriously. And so they're mourning over their sin. We're rejecting comfort physically because we, we don't want to actually be comfortable about our sin either. And so they're not messing around, but they're lamenting and they're mourning greatly over their sin. And so I just have a question I have to ask you. Is when was the last time you took your sin really seriously? Right? Have you ever just actually mourned over your sin? You know, I've noticed like probably like three main reasons of why we kind of just tend to not see our, our sin is, is kind of a big deal. And, um, and, th and then we don't really mourn over it. And so first reason I'd say is like we, we, we tend to view our sin only based on consequences. I, I was driving down Highway 2 uh, a couple weeks ago and was coming up from like 33rd to 27th Street and, and I'm cruising along and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a cop right in the median. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, how fast am I going? You know, apparently I need to slow down now because because um, uh, I think we're all moving. I wasn't the only one, I don't think. but. Uh, but I was moving, and so like, oh, you know, and then Chris, you know, my wife Christy's like, hey, how fast are you going? Well, uh, slower now. And, um, you know, so now all of a sudden I see this cop, and because I'm only really concerned with speeding because I might have a consequence of getting a ticket, right? That's the only reason I care about how fast I'm going. And, and I think many times we, we think of sin kind of in a similar way. You know, hey, it's just, you know, like speeding, like, hey, it's no big deal. It's just breaking some kind of little moral code thing. And it's only a big deal if, if somebody gets hurt. Or it's only, sin is only a big deal if I have some sort of consequence that's going to happen because of what I've done. But every time that we sin, first, we, we sin against God. But I also want to let you know is like every time we sin, there's always a consequence. There's always at least one victim. And at minimum, it's you. Every time you sin, like, 
you are being robbed of joy. You're being robbed of life. There's always a consequence every time you sin. And, and what we see here with the people of Nineveh is that, I mean, they are grieving. They're lamenting over their sin. I mean, I mean this is like a wicked, wicked city. And, I mean, there, there's people that have these probably like really apparent and just heinous, gross sins. And there's some people that are like the teacher's pet or something like that. But they're like all mourning over their sin. Because they're, they're realizing that their sin is before a holy God. And so um, first reason is because we just we tend to view sin based on consequences. Second reason, we don't really grieve over our sin. We don't really think of it as a big deal. is because we compare ourselves to others. Hey, is it really that big of a deal if, if I do that thing? Because so many other people do that thing. You know, um, if, yeah, I gossip, but... But yeah, the, I mean, these other people gossip too. Hey, I look at some stuff I shouldn't have, shouldn't be looking at, but I mean, but they do like they look at it more. Hey, I, you know, I know that I should probably, you know, give and be generous with my finances, with my time, but but hey, man, there's so many other people that don't do that. It's okay if I do it. Because other people do it. Or, or, hey, I don't need to do these things that God is actually calling me into, you know, to share the gospel with because, well, because so many other people aren't doing it, right? And we just, we just kind of compare ourselves to, to others. But this is what um, author A.W. Pink said. He said, it is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors of faith. Right, it's not okay like saying, hey, just because we don't really maybe like sin as much as we think we do or, or as other people, that's actually not the point. You know, God, God doesn't call us to be as good as the, the, just the world around us. God actually doesn't even call us to be as good as just the other Christians or other church people around us. God calls us to be like him. He says, hey, follow me, be holy, be set apart, be different, be holy, just as I am holy. Be like me. Which I, I, is the, leads me to the third reason that we tend to think of sin just not as a big of a deal. And I'd say it's because we just don't see how holy and how good God is. Right? See, when, I, it, when I'm even encouraging you to, to mourn and lament over your sin... I don't actually want you to focus on your sin. I'm not asking you to focus on how you do things that you shouldn't be doing. I'm not asking you to focus on how there are things that you should do, but you don't do. That's not where I'm asking you to focus. I am actually asking you to focus on Jesus. How good he is, how holy he is. That is where our focus needs to be. Because if I focus on my sin and just how bad I am, how I just fall short all the time, and if that's where most of my focus is, I'm going to feel just defeated and just think, well, hey, this is just how things are. I guess I'm just going to continue to struggle with this, and, and this is just how it's going to be. But when I focus on Jesus and, and how good he is, I realize that he supplies me strength. He supplies me grace to actually follow him. He's the one that gives me motivation. He's the one that empowers me to do that. And when I focus 
on, on the goodness and the greatness of God, I'm actually again, then going to actually mourn over my sin. Because I know that my sin is actually hindering me from experiencing the goodness of God. But when I don't focus on Jesus, when I don't focus on the goodness of God, then I'm just not going to think my sin is that big of a deal. Because I'm not really captivated by God. Every one look that I take at my sin, I should take ten looks at my Savior. And if in all of this, if we, if we tend to think that our sin is no big deal, then we're going to think that the cross is no big deal. Right? If my sin is no big deal, then why did I even need Jesus to pay the price for it? Did I even really need his sacrifice that much at all? This is what uh, John Newton says. He's the writer of, of that song, Amazing Grace. And this is what he said at the, at the end of his life. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Right? The more that I see the goodness of God, the more that I am actually going to see how, how just my sin is not like God. And the cross, the gospel is going to become more and more beautiful. Man, Christ has paid the price for my sin. Christ is that good. Christ has saved me when I was at my worst. I see his holiness, see his goodness. And so City Light, I just got to ask you a question. Do you, do you really lament, do you really mourn over your sin? And I, I, I have to admit, many times I just don't. Many times I just think like, hey, this is not that big of a deal. But I also want us to see that even though many times we don't really mourn over our sin, we don't really grieve over it, there's one who does for us. Right, God mourned over our sins so much that he actually sent his son Jesus to die for our sin, to pay the price for us. And so we, we just see that in the story, Jonah delivers this message, and because of God's word, that they're lamenting over their sin, but it doesn't stop there. And so second point, second observation is this, God's power causes them to repent. God's power causes them to repent. And so they lament for their sin, but now they repent from their sin. And so verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth uh, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then these next verses are kind of like expanding on just kind of the, the summary of verse 5. And so uh, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And so Jonah comes and he's preaching this tough message. And in verse 4, it lets us know that Gina, or Jonah went one day, right? He goes, one day. I mean, so if, you, if you're reading the story, it's like Jonah preached for one day. 
And everybody's like, oh, man, we feel really bad about what we're doing. And not only do we feel really bad about it, but we're going to actually change everything we're doing. And the whole city repents. I mean, this is like a great day if you're Jonah. I mean, like this, and, and his message is super short. You know, it's just like, hey, um, yeah, hey, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I mean, you don't got a cool illustration or nothing, <laughs> right? In Hebrew, this is actually five words. I mean, I would love a day like this. I mean, if I just, you know, came here and just said, city light, something, something, five words, and all of you guys are like, oh, my gosh, that's that's so true. Oh, man, let's all turn to God and change this you know, part of our lives. I'd be like, that is awesome. But, I mean, yet this is this whole city. This entire city is, is turning to God. But I want you to first notice this. This is happening by God's power. Okay? God's power. Look at verse, at verse 5 again. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Right? It doesn't say they believed Jonah or even Jonah's message. They believed God. God is the one at work. God is the one doing this. All of this is happening by God's power. Again, think of who Jonah is. The guy that's actually delivering the message to the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't love them. Jonah doesn't like them. Jonah, again, doesn't have a fancy message. But yet God does something amazing. God steps in. And if you're wondering, this is actually the greatest miracle of the book of Jonah. It's not the fish. This is the greatest miracle in the whole book is that all of these people are changed and transformed and they repent and they turn away from their sin and they turn to God. But in, in all this, this reminds us that, hey, we're, it's not by our power that this happens. Right? We, we can't get people to change. We can't get people to turn to God. And this is what it says in John 1.12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, of people, but of God. Right? God's will. This is um, John 6.44. It says, no one can come to me, could come to Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, this is, this is God at work. And so if you're wondering, like, oh, man, God doesn't know my past. I don't know, he doesn't know the things that I've done. Um, man, I don't know if I'm going to say things right when I talk to, to my friends, my coworkers, whoever it is. I just want to let you know, it's not based on you. These people repented at an unfancy message by a guy who didn't love them or like them. Certainly God could use you, right? It's by God's power that this is happening. And so because of God's power, they, they repent. And in case you're wondering, hey, what, what does that word repent even mean? That just means like a change of mind. You have a change of mind about your actions, about the things that you're doing, about your beliefs, and you turn from, from these, these actions, these beliefs, and then you turn to God. Right? You, you go too bad. You're, you're, you're walking one way, and then you repent, and you're, you're saying, no, I'm going to walk a different way. I'm going to walk towards God. And, but but, but this, this change of mind, this repentance, leads to action. Right? You can't really separate the two. 
If I have a change of mind, I'm really change of mind, I'm going to have a change of action. And so like earlier, when we talked about how they lamented their sin, it's not just that they felt bad about their sin. They actually repent from it and they turn to God from it because it's not really just enough to just feel bad about it, right? There are those times where we've all sinned and we just feel bad about it, but then we don't actually repent. We don't actually turn from it and turn to God. And so the whole city repents, and, and it just even, this is kind of just a fun thing in the text. So in, um, uh, in Jonah's message where he says, hey, in 40 days, the, the city the, the is going to be overthrown, that word overthrown has two meanings. One is that it's just going to face disaster from this outside source, that it's just going to be overthrown and destroyed. But the other meaning is that it's actually going to be overturned. And that's a really what happened, right? It wasn't destroyed from an outside source, but actually God turned them around through the power of his spirit. And so they, they turn to God. And it, something just to kind of notice is, is the king here. The king, it says that he gets off of his throne. And, and to repent, that's part of it. You just got to get off the throne, right? You have to realize, hey, I'm not the one in charge. I'm not the one calling the shots. I'm, I'm not going to be the one that I'm mainly looking to to get everything from. And so the king gets off of his throne, you know, signifying like, hey, I'm not, the, I'm not the one that's really in charge here. It's God. And then he gets off his throne, and, it just kinda, and, and then he just says, hey, I'm just going to get rid of, of my fancy robe, and I'm going to put on this sackcloth. I'm going to identify myself with the needy. And then he sits down on the ground. And th this is just a reminder of like what it says in Luke 9.24, just about turning to God. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so the king, he, he just calls the whole town to repent. And then in verse 7, he says, hey, by decree of the king, the nobles let man nor beast, herd, nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. And so the king just orders, hey, don't let anyone eat, not, not even the animals, not, not even, you know, any of the herds or anything. And again, just signifying, hey, if that even happens, you know, because like if animals don't eat, they can die. Hey, even if that happens, it, it's worth it because we're turning to God. And, and this is just to stress the seriousness of, the, of repentance. And if you're wondering, hey, you know, did, are the animals actually really turning to God? Um, no, you know, it's just, it's just the issue of the decree. I mean, especially not the cats are turning to God. You know, maybe, maybe some dogs are turning to God. Um, but we all know cats, they're, that's hopeless. Um, you know, ooh, Ricky, I don't know if I like that joke. I have a cat. I like cats. Um, dogs are better. Um, so, um, and then it says, uh, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in the hands. And so the people are not withholding anything. They're truly repenting. They're not casual about their sin. They're not casual about this in any way because they see that their sin, what they've been doing, is at odds with God. And, and it's tough to like two things that are kind of at odds with each other. You know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm from New Mexico originally, but before I moved to Nebraska, I was actually a Husker fan um, just because I liked the way that they, they played ball. But, um, but I also liked Colorado. Now, this was back in the days of the Big 12, and so if you, if you don't, you know, if you're like, hey, wait a minute, you liked Colorado and Nebraska, for those of you that are familiar, it's like, 
no, you really can't do that, right? Because back in the day, Colorado, that, that's like Nebraska's rival. You know, we, we don't like Colorado. Their fans are terrible. Um, and so it's like, hey, you can't really like both of those things because they're against each other. They're at odds with one another. But the reason that I could do it is because I was a casual fan. But, the, you know, I moved here. The bigger fan I, I became of Nebraska. And the more and more that I became a bigger fan of Nebraska, the less I liked Colorado. And the less I liked Texas. <laughs> especially Texas. Um, because I was no longer a casual fan. The more I liked one thing, the less I could like something that was at odds with the thing that I was liking. Right? And this is true of other teams. I mean, Ben on our, on our staff... Um, he loves the Chicago Bears. When we were doing this fantasy draft last year, he would not draft Aaron Rodgers because they're in the same division. And he's like, nope, I love the Bears. I can't even mess with anybody that's a Packer. And this is true for all, you know, lots of other teams. You can't really like Ohio State and Michigan. The only way you could like both of those teams is if you're a casual fan. And if you're casually following Jesus, the more tolerable, the more acceptable sin is going to be in your life, right? But the more that I'm dedicated to Jesus, the more that I delight in Jesus, the less I'm okay with the sin in my life. And so a question I just have for you is, is how tolerable, how acceptable, how, how okay are you with the sin in your life? Do you tolerate it? Or do you repent of it and say, I'm turning away from it. I'm turning to God. Recently, the other pastors and I, we, um, we got this uh, app or, or you know, this program, this software called Accountable to You. And it just tracks everything that you look at on your, on your phone, whether it's a website, through an app, whatever it is, just to hold each other accountable in that. And, and we actually got it not because we were struggling with stuff. But it was just like, hey, we don't want to actually wait until we are. We want to attack this now because we want Jesus so badly. We want purity so badly in Jesus' way. Let's just do it now. And, and I wish I could say that, that that's always been the case in my life where I was like fighting so hard against sin, whether that was purity, whether that was pride, whether that was just anger. Because many times I'm just like, again, just kind of content. I'm okay with the sin. Because I'm casual. Uh, and, and, I, and I found out every time that I'm, I'm tolerable with the sin in my life, it's because my love for Jesus is casual. So do, do you loathe your sin? Or do you love it? Do you kill the sin in your life? Or are you feeding it? Do you seek to destroy sin? Or are there times when you really desire it? Not just because it's bad, not just because like, oh, hey, this is something that I'm not, I shouldn't be doing, but it's because your delight is in Jesus. I don't want to tolerate this thing because it is at odds with my Savior, with Jesus, who I love and I delight in. If, if, if you're going through a season right now, or it's, maybe it's just, you know, it's been a long season, if sin is pretty acceptable and tolerable to you, I just say that's probably an indication that you're kind of casually following Jesus. But again, that's why we focus on Jesus. The more I delight him, the more I worship him, the less and less acceptable sin is going 
to be. And so we see in this that the, the, the people, they, they lament over their sin, and then they repent from it, and they, they're turning to God. And then the third point is this, God relents. God relents. So verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so a question that you guys might be thinking is like, okay, wait a minute. Hey, so did God change his mind? You know, hey, the, the warning that Jonah gave was, hey, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. And then it doesn't happen. You know, God, God, does God just change his mind? And, and, and kind of like the actions of the people of Nineveh, did they just change the actions of God? Um, and so just so you know, like that's not the case in this. You know, God is still sovereign. It's not like God is surprised by what Nineveh did. Um, and so in Jonah's message, there's kind of this idea or this implied warning uh, um, or, or an implied contingency like, hey, in 40 days, it's going to be overthrown. But hey, if you repent, it's not. It's, it's kind of implied. So uh, an example of this would be if I tell one of my kids, you're going to go to your room. And if that's all I say, they get it. Hey, if you keep doing what is infuriating me right now, I'm going to cast you from my sight. <laughs> right? Um, I don't need to tell them, hey, if you, hey. I, but if you stop, you don't have to go to your room, right? They get the warning, right? And, and so God is still sovereign. He's still in control in all of this. It's not that God has changed his mind because it's not all of a sudden that God became merciful, right? God has been merciful through this whole book. Think of this. Who is actually even wanting to warn the Ninevites at all? God. God's like, hey, I actually care about the Ninevites so much that I'm going to take my guy, my, my boy Jonah here, and I'm going to send him to go to them so that they know that I care about them, so that they know that I want them to turn away from their evil ways and turn to me. I want to warn them about what is going on. So God, God in this um, is still acting completely in his character that he is loving, that he is merciful. And I just want you to know that the same God that is dealing with Jonah, that is patient with Jonah, that is merciful towards Jonah, the same God that is, that is merciful towards Nineveh, is the same God that deals with us today. Right? And, and, and in this, we, we get to see that we even have a clearer, better, greater picture of who God is because we get to see Jesus. I mean, Jonah was commanded to preach the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jonah was thrown into the sea because of his disobedience, and he faced the wrath of God. Jesus was thrown on the cross because of our disobedience and faced God's wrath towards our sin for us. Jonah would rather die than go to sinners, but Jesus says, I will die so that sinners can be with me. Jonah was in the belly of the fish and then was vomited out. Jesus was buried in a tomb and was resurrected out. Jonah was sent to save one city. Jesus was sent to save people from every tri tribe, tongue, and nation. The people, when they repented, they actually had no promise, no guarantee 
You know, they said, who knows? Maybe God will have mercy on us, but we have the promise that when we turn and that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jonah reluctantly preached against his will, but Jesus freely gave his life to save many. Right, and, and Jonah had a hard message to deliver that day. Similar to the people that have to deliver a hard message to those that are in the face and the path of a hurricane. But they do it to help save their life. And, and today, we're faced, our, our world is faced sometimes with a tough message today, the gospel. And that sin is real. And we, every person in this room has committed sin, has indulged in it. But this message isn't meant to send us into a depression. It's meant to lead us to God. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't trusted in him as your Savior, I just want to be honest with you. You're headed towards disaster. And I say that to you because I love you, because I want you to really know God, and because you can be saved. You could be saved from your sin, and you could be saved to God. Not because of how good you are, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. He knows every sin that you've committed. He knows every dark place of your mind, of your heart, of your life. And he died for you in your place, paid the price for your sin, and was crucified on a cross. And he is pursuing you just like he's pursuing the Ninevites. And he's coming after you with his love so that you can be saved. So that you can know him. And so I share this message with you. Hey, there's no other way for you to be saved other than Jesus Christ. I share that with you out of an, a love for you so that you can know God. And so I encourage you, if you haven't trusted in Christ, don't be casual about him. He is so not casual about you. Turn to Christ. Trust in him. Trust in what he's done for you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you trusted in him, if the people of Nineveh repented because of the message of Jonah, and, and they repented even not knowing that God would have mercy on them, how much more should we as the family of God, be a repenting people, be a people that, is, that, that continue daily to turn away from our sin and turn to the love and the goodness of God, knowing, knowing what a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus, knowing how merciful God is, how loving he is, how much more should we be a people that is constantly repenting and turning to our good and faithful God? Let's pray.